This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. And with me today, donning a brand new hat. He wants to show off his hot fashion styles. It is Hans. Welcome, Hans. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Hey, did you know that they did a pseudo-remake sequel to The Full Monty for Disney Plus? No. What? What could that look like? It would look like everyone in that movie who was already pretty old, looking a hell of a lot older. And then a Disney logo in the top right-hand corner. Oh, but it's the same actors. Yeah. it's Well, it's that's, that's where the sequel Carlyle, part. That's... From what I've seen on the, the artwork for this show, and they even got Tom Wilkinson back. He's dead now. He died. This was the last thing I think he did. Robert Carlyle looks better than how he did probably in the 90s. But I'll tell you who doesn't is that lead actor from Still Standing. That is a really... If you look at any poster from the full Monty 2023, that actor looks horrendous. His hair up the middle has gone, and the way that he's cocking his head makes it look like his head is uh, expanding like a baby's fresh out the womb. You know how the head just, like, you stretch it like a Stretch Armstrong doll, and it's all fucked up for a couple days? Well, that's a normal picture of him, but that's not great either. He looks, you know, like he's got an alcohol problem. What is it, the full? The full what? Monty 2023. Yeah, he's not even that old. Well, why am I always Bing? You're on Bing. Well, it's too late now. We're already committed to Bing. <laughs> yeah. No, do, here we go. Okay. So this is the image of the full Monty. Robert Carlyle, obviously, this is very done up. You know, they, they Botox. Had, yeah, they, they had some filters thrown in on there. That looks like Opie on the far left. I don't know why why they think that there's a uh, going to be an audience appeal by putting a dog on the poster that was clearly yeah. not photographed in the same way as anyone else. Of course, or we a have pigeon to have... that he's he's not actually looking at, but it's just mm -hmm. there. Yep. Yeah. And then Tom Wilkinson's corpse in the back. Yep. He's embarrassed to have been doing this. Yeah, but it's FX, not Disney Plus. It's I, I had a logo with Disney Plus on it, but I guess FX is owned by Hulu, which is owned by Disney. So sixty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. How do you do poorly as a TV show? Whoops. Yeah. Oh wow. Episode? Costa Rica's just getting the nanny. That's exciting. Is it that's how they sell you? HBO Max, The Nanny, Fresh Prince. Is it in Spanish? Mm-hmm. Is it a commercial in Spanish? Wow. Uh, I'm checking out some of your recommendations here. Oh. They're recommending Vouch to you. I think you watch too many anti-Israel videos. <laughs> yeah. What happened possibly. to Jerry Swole's victims? So I watched Lady Ballers, dot, dot, dot. That's the critical drinker, our dear friend. We'll have him on the show next week. To discuss his favorite movies of 2023. To hear him complain about about how not enough Disney movies made it into yeah, not enough Spider-Man movies got nominated for Best Picture. What a clown show! Yeah. How can I watch the Oscars <laughs> if Into the Spider Verse didn't get nominated for Best Picture? That's ridiculous. Yeah, Oop. that's great. I like how great you crapped out of the trailer as soon as it started. That was good. That we just watched HBO Max. <laughs> advertise well i just i realized that are we really going to talk about the full monty 2023 for that much longer i don't even remember the original one um, no i don't is... think i watched it either i don't I, I remember it being a thing in the 90s and they promoted it like it was a dirty movie or something at least in america yeah and it's got well it's got 96 percent rotten tomatoes score yeah it was no it was it was a well-received movie i remember roger ebert talking about it very highly but all the trailers and advertisements made it seem like and i get this is the joke of the movie made it seem like it was magic mike but they made it like sp like a spicy movie with older men so i was very Wait, confused it, by it it's a series not a movie yes the, the full monty 2023 oh. is a sequel series okay is there, is there that much of a plot? Six unemployed steel workers form a male striptease act. The women cheer them on to go for the full Monty. Total nudity. And uh, they made a series out of Yeah, that? I don't know who was clamoring for this. No one was ever saying, you know what we need? A sequel to the full Monty. Do you remember now. 1997? The Oscar winner, apparently? Would full it win Monty? Best, 
best foreign film it was it was nominated for best picture yeah uh it was nominated uh, let me see best director well if it was nominated writing. for best picture typically i think there's a rule you cannot win best foreign language film i don't think that would technically qualify because it's the uk you know it's english mm. but um uh, you know if if you're nominated for that you cannot be nominated for best picture you got to go for all the marbles or some of the marbles not both yeah it won best music uh, original musical or comedy score wow okay 98 i i watched that about 10 years ago i thought it was all right i thought it was fine i mean it's, it, it there is something about the uh british films to come out of the 1990s that i don't think they've managed to capture that sort of energy since you know mm -hmm. films in the uk the comedies that came out during that time and that's certainly one of them but i mean what's been good since what's been good well, I, that's what i ask myself every day is what's been good since the full monty it all just pales in comparison <laughs> yeah yeah so it's a great well, interesting plot yes yeah, i mean man peter's out maybe we'll find out tonight since we're going to be rattling off our 10 best films watched in 2023 how about yeah. that i'll tell you what i started the year with a uk comedy from the 90s i started it with spice world because mm. i found a it's vhs tape no it's not on my list no <laughs> okay. uh but i did enjoy it more than what i thought i would my here my here's my history with spice world Never saw Spice World in the 90s, but I vividly remember all the trailers and Bob Hoskins being in them. And he was in like a phone booth or something. And he was like kissed and, and I don't know. He seemed like bewildered by that or something. I don't know. And I remember Alan Cumming was in it. Then I wanted to see Exorcist II The Heretic when I was like 12 years old. And my cousin went to the video store to go get it. And she was like, oh, I couldn't find Exorcist II The Heretic. I got the next best thing. I got mm -hmm. Spice World. I was like, I don't want to fucking watch Spice. I was so ungrateful. Like, she paid for the tape and everything. But I was just like, I don't want to watch Spice World. This fucking gay movie. No, I'm not watching that movie. And then you I think she was it. lying. She was just like, that she just him. picked it anyway. It. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, probably. I know for a fact that Blockbuster had Exorcist to the Heretic and nobody was fucking renting that movie in 2001 or whatever. So, yeah. I want to see a sequel to a movie from 30 years ago. I yeah. want to see Spice World. You know? mm -hmm. Spice Girls were huge. So uh, then I got around to watching it because I found a VHS tape of it in a basement. And I was like, Spice World? Whoa. All right, I'll take this home. And then I put it in. What is, what is it about? Because I remember I did watch it in a local channel here. I remember that it dubbed in Spanish, but I honestly don't even remember what the plot is. They just go on tour. Is there's hardly it? a tour. No, I mean, it's very fantastical, if I remember right. There's a little bit of that. And then there's a little bit of like I couldn't even rate the movie afterward. I didn't want to give it because it's just so what it is. It's it's intended to not really it's just promoting the Spice Girls, but there was a lot of character to that movie. It's, it's kind of fun, but you couldn't like critically rate this movie seriously. So I'll give you what the, the synopsis of the film says here. You say you want a revolution? Zany adventures that follows the Spice Girls and their entourage, mostly fictional characters. Manager Clifford, his assistant Deborah, and filmmaker Piers, who is trying to shoot a documentary on the real Spice Girls. Whoever wrote this synopsis but must be like ESL because zany adventures that follows the Spice Girls is not how you fucking write. <laughs> so, all right. A British retard. Wrote yeah, that, that uh, was uh, the first older movie that I watched last year. You know what that sounds like? Uh, it sounds like those 80s cartoons where there was just whatever was popular would do a cartoon about it, like like the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or how they came up with... Uh, with a um, Anaheim Mighty Ducks cartoon where they created characters just because the logo of the team was cool. <laughs> it's just like, we're just going to create heroes or our ducks and they play hockey and they fight crime. Yeah, it you know, I was so like... disappointed when I did check out that Mighty Ducks animated series and it was actual ducks playing hockey. I don't know why I expected anything else, but I, yeah. I don't know. 
So um, Spice World is how I did begin the uh, way back 20th century viewing. I did watch the Noah Baumbach movie White Noise before that. Boy, his directorial effort uh, and Greta Gerwig's directorial effort, most recent, Night and Day, White Noise was just an insufferable, bad movie. I actually, the first movie I watched of 2023 was Elvis. I watched Elvis on New Year's Eve, so that was the very first. I checked out The Hobbit, the animated movie. That was okay. Stay mm-hmm. Tuned, which was a John Ritter comedy from the 80s. That wasn't very good. I watched. I feel like I watched a lot of John Ritter comedies that were like made for TV or something. Last year. At the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. Bag of Bones, the Stephen King adaptation with Pierce Brosnan. That was really bad. Rumble in the Bronx, Jackie Chan. Fun, but like not very good. It was clearly mm-hmm. not the Bronx. It was clearly Toronto. It didn't look a fucking thing like the Bronx. So, you know. Um, but here's, all right, so I, I have a list here. I'm not just going to read off everything that I watched during that era. And I want to quickly shout out some of the films that I did see but are not in my 10. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just quickly rattle off the list, and then I'll have you present your 10th movie on your list. Um, number, this isn't in, in, in any particular order, to be honest with you, but I did have them numbered i guess some of these movies i've never i had never seen before 2023 other films it had been a while you know so for example we have superman the movie and christopher reeve was my most watched actor according to letterbox of 2023 which is was shocking to me but i guess if there's four superman movies and then he you know he's uh raped in the flash his image is raped in the flash with ezra miller and they count that I also watched a movie where he's in it with Michael Keaton. That was like a political film from 1990. That was kind of strange and not very good. But I watched Superman the movie, and I uh, really developed an appreciation for those films and the the stage and set design of them. Uh, pretty solid film. I watched Turning Point, which was a Nabiko Obiashi film I had been eyeing for the longest time. It's about a middle-aged woman getting a job. Uh, Strawberry Tucker. Mansion, mm-hmm. Can Tucker Audley. This is the you know this is very well made, uh, strange movie about a door to door salesman guy or an insurance salesman I think, who goes to a Strawberry Mansion. This is not a film, but it was a miniseries. Ryan Murphy I think produced it. Fosse Verdon. Did you uh, have you heard of this show? It was one of those FX. Uh, biopic adaptations that Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams start in as Bob Fosse and um, God, what is the woman's name? Let me just click that real quick and pretend like I knew. Oh, fuck. Gwen, Gwen Verdon. That's right. Yes, Verdon. that's right. Uh, terrific miniseries. Made me want to go back and revisit all of Fosse's movies and I wound up seeing Chicago uh, on Broadway later in the year because of that. The Nickel Ride. That's a Jason Miller Gee. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your input, Hans. Uh, <laughs> the Nickel Ride, which is a Jason Miller film, he didn't star in too many films after The Exorcist, after playing Father Karras in The Exorcist. He was offered the lead in Taxi Driver. He said, no thank you to do The Nickel Ride. And The Nickel Ride is kind of an interesting movie. It's all right. It's on YouTube right now for free. You can't buy it on VHS or DVD anywhere. Maybe uh, check it out. The Bounty, an Anthony Hopkins, Mel Gibson movie about, you know, the mutiny on the Bounty story. William Bly. That was very solid. The music in that by Evangelist is, uh, or Evangelist, excuse me. Awesome, awesome soundtrack. Running on Empty, River Phoenix, Judd Hirsch. And I forget the lead actress's name, but she was in Salem's Lot, I think, as the love interest. This was a good movie about terrorists hiding out, having to move around, and then River Phoenix is their son, falls in love with a girl who I think is Martha Plimpton, might have been his real-life girlfriend. And they have a younger son. They get discovered. 
and then they have to move. It's, it's a very, very good movie, very low-key movie. I would definitely recommend running on empty. Excalibur, Zack Snyder's favorite movie. I had never seen John Borman's Excalibur. It is a wild treat of a film. I have a VHS of it over on my shelf. I kind of wish I had watched it in full HD because it is a spectacle. Not a particularly smart movie, but it is a good bit of fun when you sit down and watch it. It looks like it's one of those, when they were doing those uh, like Master of the Universe movies and, and Conan, and he has that, I've never seen it, but he has that feel on the images that I'm looking at. It's exactly like that, yeah. I would say that's a very accurate way to put it. And you can see what elements inspired uh, Zack Snyder and his direction because he does borrow quite a lot of the techniques that are found in that movie. And um, certainly how he tells a story feels pretty similar to what he does there. Uh, Chilly Scenes of Winter, which is a film by Joan Micklin Silver, starring John Hurd, who's the father from Home Alone. And he's just kind of uh, like a creepy guy who falls in love with the, the protagonist of this movie. And it's not like a weird movie or anything. It's kind of Woody Allen-esque. It reminded me a lot of the movie Girlfriends, which I checked out on the Criterion channel not long uh, before this year. Uh, and that would be it. That would be it. I think that's 22. Oh, sorry. Last Days of Disco. That's a Witt Stillman film produced in the 90s. And, it, it, you know, for a movie set in the 70s, it does not look like the 1970s even a little bit. But it's an enjoyable movie. Witt Stillman's kind of having a moment on the X space with a lot of young filmmakers. It seems like they're getting into his work just now. He directed Metropolitan, uh, a couple of other films. You know, he's known for working with Chloe Sevigny, so he's got that hipster clout. He does a lot of the Q&As in Manhattan, talking about his films after it gets screened. He does one of those, like, once a week. So he's currently... I mean, he's not at the hottest. I feel like the hottest Whit Stillman was was probably in recent memory, in recent times, not in terms of his entire career, since he has fallen off. Like early 2023, early 2023, a lot of people were talking about Whit Stillman covering his films. And now it's cooled down a little bit, but he's still pretty hot, all things considered. So those are... with his. He feels like... Uh, um... Yeah, I'm not familiar with him. I don't think I've ever seen any of his Metropolitan Barcelona, Last Days of Disco, Damsel in Distress, Love and Friendship. He's very 90s. It's kind of crazy okay. that we had an era of young filmmakers that all had these distinct, rough styles to them. And no other decade repeated that. Why the 90s? You know, you have Whit Stillman, you have... I mean, Jack put up a tweet about this kind of recently. I'm only going to be echoing his point. But you had so many breakout filmmakers in their 20s or early 30s who produced these rough, I don't want to say masterpieces, but they, I mean, rough masterpieces. And then they either disappeared or they had to change what they were. And they either lost their style in the case of somebody like Hal Hartley or they had to level up like a Quentin Tarantino mm -hmm. or a Paul Thomas Anderson. So Whit Stillman's one of these guys who's on the same level of like a Kevin Smith or Spike or whoever during that period. And he made a string of these types of stripped down character movies about wealthy upper crust New York people, usually young people in their 20s. And then it didn't really seem like anything stuck after 1999. This was really maybe the last major film that he had done, The Last Days of Disco. Yeah. They're and pretty good. Just, yeah. They either turn into TV or they, they just retire, uh, like a soft retirement where mm -hmm. they just don't do anything. For well, you. I'm assuming you're looking at his IMDb. Did he do an Amazon yeah. show? I feel like he had done him and Hal Hartley around the same time got roped into doing Amazon shows and Hal Hartley did Red Oaks, which is not a bad show. It's a pretty good yeah. Amazon Prime show. Uh, and then Hal Hartley, uh, not Hal Hartley, excuse me, um, Whit Stillman did a show for Amazon Prime, 
I don't even remember what it was called. I think Chloe Sevigny was on it though. And it might've been canceled pretty quickly. There is a, uh, well, Cosmopolitans. So the only oh, TV show this okay. Is, All right. So he was TV trying to do, are... yeah, no, it, no, it was, it was supposed to be a TV show, but it didn't get picked up. Amazon during that time was doing competitive pilots, which is kind of an interesting idea, but a very bad idea for a company because shows don't really get into the groove of things until like three or four episodes in. And that's being generous. Sometimes it's many seasons. They decided to pit different pilots of TV shows against each other and have people vote on what was the most entertaining pilot. So what did you say it was called? Cosmopolitans? Yes. The Cosmopolitans. Okay. His first movie was Metropolitan. So it yeah. it's probably like a bookend, hey, remember my first movie type of series where it has like none of the style or vibe of what that movie was because he was only early 20s exploring what filmmaking was during that time. And I don't think it got picked up. There was also a Zombieland pilot that did not get picked up that had Mike White briefly cameo in it. Wow. Yeah, he's apparently working on a series right now called The Splendid Affinities. A rom-com adventure TV series set in London, Paris, and Madrid. Um, okay. Yeah. So he's working, finally, I guess. I so guess. What, I don't know. Uh, it's yeah. questionable whether anything produced by many of these guys is worth checking out. I know Hal Hartley just got funding for his next movie that is going to bring back a lot of his 90s casts. I th you know, and... It's like, can you really do what you want to do in, in, in reigniting whatever that ball of energy was 30 years ago? Kevin Smith hasn't been able to do that. I still enjoy Kevin Smith's films. I, I'll stay, you know, true to my opinion that Clark's Three was a better movie than people had made it out to be, but he mm -hmm. can't do what he did in the 90s. You know, it doesn't matter if he gets Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and he gets his whole crew together. He's not going to be able to do that again. He's got to do something different. And that fear of doing something different is ultimately holding him back as a filmmaker, certainly, and not taking himself seriously. But, uh, yeah, do you think that it's because now he knows that he has a fan base that's going to support whatever he puts out instead of having that fear of, uh, you know, having to take more risks because he hasn't yet established that? in the 90s it's exactly that no you you nailed it right on the head if you have an audience and you deliver something to the audience that you know the audience is going to like you're not really as concerned what the critics care about or what a new general audience would care about but the thing with kevin smith is because i've always followed kevin smith i like kevin smith he was mm -hmm. complaining in 2023 before clerks 3 released he was like I don't get why my fan base is going down in numbers. I don't understand why the general interest here in Smodcast stuff is going down. And it's like, because you haven't tried to expand. It's very simple. It's just, you haven't reached out to an audience of not 45 year old stoners. So you, you have to do something to lay a trap and bring in some new people. You haven't done that. You know, I mean, people are always discovering old movies, but that's never, sufficient enough at generating a base you get a really you know drop a bomb that's gonna collect people but it's also when he's tried to step away from that it, it's not far enough where it feels that much different so then it just feels like it's a movie for nobody because it's not for your audience but it's also not for anyone else i guess what are you talking about like he-man or one of these uh netflix yeah things? or or you know it's, well, i guess cop out is like a studio thing so it, I'm, i don't want to give like i don't want to put all the fault in him and and uh pre-dementia bruce willis but i feel like red state could have brought a different audience if he even though that movie kind of doesn't hold up that great you know but, it's very uh, amazing atheist these yeah. days you know it, it, like it's it, the point it's making is not as salient as maybe what he thought it was in 2011 or 2012 i think it did bring in some new audience members but the problem is those audience members maybe didn't vibe with tusk and they yeah. certainly didn't vibe with yoga hosers like the type of horror audience that 
showed up for Red State is not the horror audience who shows up for Tusk. Or, or and nobody know, showed well, up for Yoga Hosers. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> was the audience for that? Yeah, I think uh, also a big mistake to just try to write vehicles for your daughter so that she can become become an actress. That's also. I mean, everybody from Yoga Hosers blew up though, except for his daughter. Yeah, because I mean, look at look at now. You have Austin Butler. You have Lily Rose Depp, two two oh, biggest stars in the world. Yeah. So wow. All right. Uh, shall we kick off our official list here? You, you got a number uh, ten. Yeah. Uh, well, my ten is a movie that we talked about uh, on the show, uh, Silver Bullet from 1985. Uh, I think. No, 1985. 85. Yeah. What did I say? 95. Oh yeah, eighty-five. Uh, with we that'd be a very bloated, coked-out Corey Haim starring in Silver Bullet as a cripple <laughs> in ninety-five. You don't and want still, ninety-five Corey Haim. Still Busey. Uh, oh God, I, that uh, would be that would be so bad. That's a direct-to-video movie. No one would ever want to watch. Nineteen ten years would have made a hell of a difference for that movie. Was that after his accident? When his brain. So, was I think Silver Bullet was after his accident too. Okay. See, well, it kind of makes. Yeah, I think he had several accidents, and it wasn't just the accident. It was coke. He had he coke fucked up his brain much. I mean, he went on David Letterman or, or one of these late night talk shows not long after at least his first motorcycle accident, and he seemed totally fine. He seems totally mm. normal, but then repeated abuse of cocaine, and then I think there was another accident in the early nineties around the time of like point break and that fucked him up worse. I could I could have the history wrong. Maybe it's just coke that fucked him up, but he did not become like busey busey that we know right now until about that time, like after uh point break. Well, this movie has a very cokey performance from him mm -hmm. uh where he plays like a drunk uncle. Yes. Uh, who's the hero of the story pretty much. Uh I I really enjoyed how uh it it it's like in between feeling like a TV movie for children and, and a horror movie. Because uh, even though you don't really see the monster until the end, uh, the way that it's shot is very horror-y and it has a lot of horror elements. And uh, it just it just works as like a small horror werewolf movie uh, that it's a lot better than I was expecting after seeing the trailer. You know, when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, cool. So it's just a TV movie from the, from the 80s that... Detective Wolfman wants us to see because it's a werewolf movie, but uh, it surprised me at how how much I enjoyed it. I wonder when his episode of the show that I did with him is coming out. He hasn't announced his new podcast yet. It's just been it's, on the bench. He's doing a solo show. You yeah, he's spoiled? he's doing a solo show. I'm the second guest on this show, and I don't I don't know when it's dropping. I thought it was going to drop by now. It's been a I mean it's been almost two months actually, so. Look forward to that. Yeah, Silver Bullet's a classic. I mean, it would be nowhere near my list because I watched it when I was like seven, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's a very solid pick. My number 10 pick is In the Bedroom, which is a movie by Todd Field, best known as Nick Nightingale from Eyes Wide Shut. And most recently, he directed Tar. And mm. this movie stars Tom Wilkinson and Nick Stahl. Remember Nick Stahl before... Yeah. Heroin got him, or maybe heroin got him around this time. The great, versatile Nick Stahl. He plays a, you know, just a kind of naive, do well, you know, he wants to do the right thing, good guy here who is in a relationship with Marissa Tomei, who's about 10 years older than him. She has kids and just a, you know, a life, an ex husband. He's 19 or 20 or something. He has no idea what he's getting into. Tom Wilkinson and the mother, um, let me just figure out who the mother is played by here. Oh, Sissy Space, sp Sissy Spacek plays the mom. Excuse me, <clears throat> my mouth just had a stroke there. Um, and the mom is very concerned about this relationship. She's like, ah, I don't know if he should be signing up for you know stepdad role. And Tom Wilkinson's like, yeah, but he's young and she's hot, so who cares? Let him have some fun. And then the stepdad comes around to the house. When Nick Stahl and Marissa Tomei are, you know, hanging out and the kids are there and he wants to go see the kids and it's not his day for visitation. And then Nick Stahl gets his ass beat or something. 
And then they're like, oh, we're going to press charges. We're going to handle this. And Nick Stahl's like, no, 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 don't worry about it, you know. And uh, then the next time that guy comes around, he shoots Nick Stahl in the head. And Nick Stahl dies. And then the entire rest of the movie is about Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek having the guilt and the burden of, like, knowing this relationship was not, like, a real relationship. Hmm. And you know, this woman and her kids are like meaningless to them and they don't have a son now and they're old. And on top of that, the guy who shoots him gets off on uh, like a self-defense charge or something. And so he's just walking around this small New England town living his life and the lawyers are like, we can't really do anything, you know? And they're like, you, you see the artifice of how they communicate with Tom Wilkinson. Like they're just trying to get him off their plate at this point. And so Tom Wilkinson and one of his friends decide to take matters into their own hands in dealing with this guy. And it goes through this arc of like, we started at family drama and then we went into revenge film kind of. And uh, it's very interesting. It's a very good first directorial effort from Todd Field. And you can see he's like trying to borrow from Kubrick a little bit here. Not so much what you see in Tar. Tar feels like 15 to 20 percent yeah. Kubrick in the bedroom is still Todd Field kind of working out the mechanisms of how he's going to be a director and it's solid it's a very solid movie people don't really talk about it too much these days I would definitely recommend yeah. it that's my number 10. It's nominated for five Oscars in 20, uh, 2002 I, I don't think I've ever heard of this movie before it's pretty low-key now writing. Best yeah. writing, best actress in supporting role, best leading role, actress, best actor in leading role, and best picture. Yeah, okay. Well, that sounds interesting. I might check it out. Uh, my number nine, it's, uh, I guess it's a feature. It's 49 minutes. It's Haze by Chinya Tsukamoto. Hold on a second. I don't, I mean, actually, well, I think there's different cuts of this movie that technically would be. 50 and up but i think the the technical rule with the academy mm. is 51 minutes and up is a feature but i'll okay. count it anyway because look yeah i'm gonna be real with you i have a tv miniseries in my 10 here so i'm not gonna pick a fight over a short film so yeah yes this movie or yeah let's call it movie uh it's uh a very claustrophobic small movie where um most of it happens inside of like a like a weird dungeon type of thing where this this asian man is uh stuck um he just wakes up and he's trapped between walls and it's very claustrophobic it's it's very gross <laughs> with the things that happens to him and and things that he has to deal with there's a a scene uh, specifically that I, I remember made me feel very uneasy, which, which is that he's he's stuck and his jaw is stuck of a tube that he has to scrape his teeth uh, across the tube so that he can get off the tube without like on, what do you call unhinging his jaw. Mm -hmm. And it's very, or it feels like it's very long and it's just very unsettling. So for most of the movie, I'm, the ending was kind of not my favorite. I feel like it's it's a little abrupt after all the gross out uh, swimming through bodies and and a lot of things that happened to him in this nightmarish scenario, which is just being being stuck in a in a hole in the wall and it's like a like a little yeah like a dungeon where he's trying to get out but there's no exit and he doesn't know where he has to go. It's it's very uh, it's kind of kind of cube ish, mm -hmm. uh, but for the i guess 49 minutes of runtime uh up until maybe the last five minutes you you feel that tension uh throughout and it's it's very unnerving and very even though it's very small and i believe there's only a couple of characters uh besides him uh without counting the bodies uh, i guess that are floating uh in 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 this little water thing um it's it's mostly just him and it's just like a claustrophobic nightmare type of type of movie that i really enjoyed and didn't he handle like all of the technical elements himself i think so yeah yeah 
it's uh it's just very unsettling and it's and, very uh, hiding in my flat esque if there was a yeah. feature version of that or i guess longer just, short version i mean i wouldn't put myself through all of that stuff that the actor goes through because that is very unpleasant uh you saw it right yes i did i watched this movie not long after you recommended it to me i did download it from the costa rican theater shortly after and it's very well made i i, I you know that guy's direct directorial skill is very high up there i was a big fan of um tetsuo the iron the many versions of tetsuo the iron man yeah. when that was released and you know even the sequel which is not is it's not the first movie that movie has like a similar amount of uh creativity that's just fucking juiced into it that uh yeah. that first one has and then the third one is just no ignore the third one that one's really bad <laughs> that one's really not good Should've yeah never but he does a lot with one. he does a lot with very little yes I guess, yeah i can say there's an american what bullet man is the american one uh no i don't i don't uh, i don't recall what the third one is called but it was done by it... ifc uh, i think it has a white actor yeah eric Bo bosick yeah that's uh from 2009 that's mm -hmm. all the bullet man okay not good not a good movie. No. Uh, I'll tell you what is a good movie is my number nine, which is American History X. American History X is a movie that I definitely saw like three or four times, but I hadn't watched it in about 15, 20 years. So I watched it probably when I was 10 years old. And so I knew all like the lines and the, you know, all, <laughs> all the uh, notable racist moments of this movie. But the I song. had a VHS tape of it. And... Um, I decided to give it a watch. I was like, this is either going to be okay or it's going to be corny as fuck. It's going to, I feel like this is going to be cringe. And mm -hmm. it wasn't. It actually okay. like held up remarkably well and is so nuanced in a way that I did not anticipate it would be because I, you know, it was too much for my little 10 year old brain to absorb. But in terms of how they choose to handle all the opposing sides, and I would probably credit this to Edward Norton more than Tony Kay. Tony Kay was the director of the movie, and he has disowned the film because Edward Norton totally alphaed him and said, actually, this is my movie now, bitch. I don't like this ending. I like, I like this element. This, you know what? Why don't I just take over the edit here? And Tony Kay, he backed off. I don't know what, what the fuck he was thinking. He backed off. But this is why nobody works with Edward Norton is because he does this yeah. sort of thing. They fired him from the Marvel movies because he tried to do that with the Incredible Hulk. And, you know, I guess he, he got some of that through, but, you know, for the most part, he just caused trouble with Louis Lettner, I think the guy's name was, director's name. And, and now he just works with, uh, what's the weird director, Wes Anderson. And yeah. uh, he was in that Glass Onion movie, Regan Johnson. Forgot he was in that. Yeah, he plays like a Richard yeah. Branson, Elon Musk kind of character in the Glass yeah. Onion movie. It's kind of unfortunate. Edward Norton's a great actor, and he mm -hmm. does not get thrown. Like I guess he works with Wes Anderson because he knows not to fuck with Wes Anderson because you you don't tamper with his style. You just show yeah. up and you do the work. Although he was complaining, he's like, "Yeah, I don't get paid a lot for those movies, so I kind of have to do a big budget movie every so often." And I guess Glass Onion was it because nothing else has featured Edward Norton. Yeah, but... well, Sausage Party in 2016. Oh, God. I didn't know he was in that. That's very unfortunate yeah. for him. Nobody should be proud to be in that movie. But anyway, also boasts a great Edward Furlong performance, perhaps the last good even Edward Furlong performance, I would say. I'd like to see what he's up to these days. I saw he just got some new teeth on Instagram. So you have him, you've got Elliot Gould as a Jewish man dating Edward Norton's mom, and he's just very overtly anti-Semitic towards him the entire time, talking about, and it, you know, you watch this movie, and they do not do the thing where they dumb down the white nationalist argument. That is so easy to do these days. They give you the same argument that Nick Fuentes would give you on one of his live streams. And it's like, how do you, 
how do you beat a lot of these things that he's saying here? Because there's, I mean, the, the taboo thing of guys like this is that the statistics are usually on their side. And how do yeah. you beat that? You know, well, you, I mean, you have to really hone in on what you're saying here and what your argument is if you're going to try and debate that, you know, which the, ultimately I think that the biggest argument is just like doesn't matter, you know, in terms of uh, whether it be intelligence or crime rate or whatever, like human beings are just valuable across the board, you know, so you can't just like treat people like uh, like 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 garbage or fucking send them to the incinerator because they're maybe not as valuable as x group or something like that right which ashkenazi jews at the top of the well, i don't know i don't know how you I mean, what do you want to do about that you're arguing from a lower position if that's your argument but anyway yeah. they don't dumb down the nazi argument there they kind of treat it with they treat the audience with respect you know for mm -hmm. for their intellect and at the end of it the nazis aren't even really the bad guys because they're get, edward norton he turns over a new leaf in prison. He gets to know a black guy, and it's kind of like there's a life-changing experience for him, which I, the way I'm saying it right now sounds fucking corny and like movie of the week. Yeah, but it's, it's the shower Yeah, well, yeah. Dude, no, he gets <laughs> – yeah, he does get raped by the other uh, Aryans in, yeah. in the prison. So there's that, and then the guy he folds laundry with is a black guy who's funny, and they get along, and they develop a rapport. And then when he gets out of prison, he's like, fuck. You know, I feel like I just wasted however many years of my life uh, doing this because his dad is killed by a black guy. His dad is killed and his dad is Corey Matthews dad from Boy Meets World. And he's kind of oh, racist man. at the dinner table. So you hear a lot of inappropriate language come out of his face. Um, he comes out of prison. He's like, I, you know, I, I was led down a wrong path, da, 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 da. And he starts turning over a new leaf and the FBI is like, listen, we want you to be an informant for us. Can you do that? Can you be an informant for us? And he's going to turn over Stacey Keach and that whole group of Nazis because they're planning bad shit, I guess. He tries to convert his younger brother, who's played by Edward Furlong. Very good performance from Edward Furlong, but it's kind of too late. You know, he's way more in it, and, like, that has been his family since Edward Norton has been away. So how do you turn your back on that? But he does pull him out of it, and he's like, fuck, we're at risk now. we got to hide out, you know, and the only way that I can, I can really stay out of prison now is us doing this. And then what happens at the end? A black guy kills Edward Furlong. And then the FBI is just, like, fucking Edward Norton. So it's like, okay, everybody's, everyone is bad here. Everyone is terrible. Like you were, I mean, it, it's, it's such a complex and frustrating situation, which is what makes that movie excellent. So Great, yeah. American History X, definitely revisit that. It holds up. It's not corny. Uh, you know, ignore like the Pepe memes, you know, whatever you see on X. Or, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, it's a very solid film. Uh, you were asking about what, Edward Furlong is doing, uh, and uh, the last movie he did. Oh, uh, a, a, <laughs> oh no, Shelley, she's a jack o' lantern now. It's really terrible. Oh god, they yes. couldn't give her like dentures or something to put in her mouth. Like, this is so unflattering. It's so bad. It's so mean. Wait, hold on. Go back. Go back. Smod Castle, Kevin. Oh yeah. Wait, wait. Oh, wait. no. Hold on. There it is. This is, damn. Wow, how does Edward Furlong look healthier than Kevin Smith here? <laughs> well, he doesn't do himself any favors making that face where he just he just pulls his head up. And... Yeah, he's like, I have to, I'll have low self-esteem if I don't look skinny yeah. in this photo. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, I'm going to hide the double chin that I don't have anymore by doing what I used to when I had one. It's very, very that's sad. I kind of wanted to visit his theater, but I guess it's at risk of uh, shutting down. So they're auctioning things off. So I've been open for about two years. It's, that's where he was living, right? He was living in the attic of the theater. Yeah, like the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> nice. It's very uh, Pigeon Lady from Home Alone 2 of yeah. Kevin Smith. 
truly uh all right my number eight is a movie that we talked about in the baby episode that we recorded last uh tropic thunder from 2008 excellent uh, what has Ben Stiller been up to since? I was he did the I think he directed the Life Secret of Life of Walter, Walter Mitty. Yeah. He and did then, that and then he produced the What was that Apple Plus show with Adam Scott? I just watched this last year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Compliance? Uh, Severance. Severance. Okay. That show's yeah, all that right. Was that was good, yeah. The ending was kind of a dry uh, I was expecting something to happen at the end, and when it's just a little wait for season two type of thing, I was kind of like, "All right, well, fuck you guys," because this was interesting. But I guess we'll wait to see. No, I I definitely enjoyed the series. I I agree with you though that the ending of his wife is alive was not enough. It was not enough yeah. to sustain the finale there. Uh, and uh, there's apparently going to be, uh. Dodgeball 2. He's not directing that. He didn't direct the first one, I don't think. No, he's producing that one, apparently. Okay, I uh, feel like that would have been more ripe when they did Anchorman 2 and all those horrible... Zoolander 2. Joe Dirt 2. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe we covered Joe though. Dirt 2 on this show. <laughs> With uh, Glenn, right? Yeah, we got to get Glenn back on at some point. I've been I listen to his show a lot. And for somebody who yeah. I like hardly speak to ever or, uh, you know, haven't had on this show that often, I, li I listen to his show a hell of a lot. So Rare Candy is a great podcast. Mm -hmm. Go check it out. It's not like ours, so there's not competition there. So <laughs> Shout out, Gren. Glenn. What is it? Rock? Gren? Rock? Damn, your Chinese came out there. <laughs> Shout out, Gren. Gren, rock me. Uh, anyway, Tropic Thunder is a very funny movie. Uh, from 2008 the revival of gross out mean comedies uh the humor really holds up uh it's not maybe not a movie that you couldn't do today but it's a movie that is just not being done today unfortunately that type of like offending everyone comedy is not really something that you see that much anymore or if you do it's not brave enough to make fun of everyone it's just you know, uh, there's taboos that, that uh, they don't dare criticize or make fun of. And I feel like this movie hits everyone the same, which is why it's so great. Uh, and you have the the greatest uh, blackface performance of all time when Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. that even got him an Oscar nomination. So uh, that people were trying to cancel him for last year or the no, year they before. No, tr they try every four or five <laughs> months. You will see an article like, Gen Z has discovered Tropic Thunder and they're not happy about it. They they try so often, but it's just like it it fails every single time. He's able to get through it. This guy has done every race in a movie. He played a Mexican in Jamie Foxx's unreleased Best Weekend Ever movie. He's playing Chinese in The Sympathizer, the new Park Chan-wook Vietnam War uh, oh, yeah. you know, a series, limited series, which the trailer to that does not look great if i'm being completely honest it's very disappointing but uh we'll see if that show winds up being any good you know so uh yeah ben, i mean ben stiller is very slept on i think as a comedian these days and certainly as a director and an actor mm -hmm. he's always been solid tropic thunder is an absolute masterpiece as far as comedy films go and it does hold up i watched it also earlier this year and there were so many jokes beyond just like the blackface thing that I was yeah. like, yeah, you would have a hard time today trying to do that. And it's not even that long ago. You know, we're not even 20 years away from Tropic Thunder. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 2008. But yeah, that's the, the thing that uh, it just hits everyone. It hits uh, religion, it hits black people, Chinese people, rednecks with uh, Danny McBride. Uh, and then it's just the way that it makes fun of of everyone i think it's just very different to the type of comedies that we get now unfortunately uh and uh it's around that time of the those movies that were just funny to be funny without mm -hmm. having to you know throw some type of message or, or, or something in the middle of it that ruins everything when he said it's just hey step i think step brothers came out the same year and yeah it's just like, 2008 yeah, it's just, it's just... 2008 might be the best year 
in the 21st century for blockbuster films. There were so many good movies that came out in 2008 in theaters. I saw, I, Tropic Thunder was the first movie I, I saw three times in the theater, I believe, because it was just easy to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I wound up seeing The Dark Knight the same year, about three or four times in the theater. I saw like two regular screenings and then I went to go see an I, like a proper IMAX theater screening near the aquarium in Boston. And that was like watching that compared to what they call IMAX nowadays. If you show up at like an AMC theater and see a movie in IMAX, that's mm -hmm. a load of shit. You go to an actual yeah. IMAX theater where they're doing screenings of, Hey, it's the, it's the, it's the sky. You're going to look at clouds for 40 minutes and it's going to be narrated by David Attenborough. That's the real IMAX theater. And so when you watch a movie, in proper IMAX, it looks like the actors are standing right in front of you. Like it fucks yeah. up your your perception of the screen. It just looks like a play, essentially, because it's so large. It looks like you're looking at someone's face right in front of yours. Um, it's also not the whole movie that's recorded on IMAX cameras, no, no, right? No. So you can really tell uh, the scenes that are shot in IMAX when you... I saw it in IMAX when it came out, so I yeah, I remember that. It was very evident when, oh, okay, cool. We're switching to giant. Mm -hmm. He goes like, yes. So you do the traditional letterboxed widescreen format and then boom, it's like fireworks going off anytime they do switch to IMAX. And nowadays they just shoot entire movies in IMAX. But back then mm. it was like, yeah, we can only really get away with doing three scenes in IMAX. And you would go and you would pay the $40 ticket or however much it was just to see that. So yeah, that was, a, that was always a treat. 2008, definitely best year, best year for blockbusters. Yeah. I'm just looking at a list here of 2008 movies and it's crazy how many, you got Dark Knight, Slumdog Millionaire was that yep. year too. The first Iron Man, The Wrestler, Benjamin Button, uh, Gran Torino was that year, mm -hmm. Pineapple Express, uh, In Bruges, uh, Role models, speaking of comedies, and Sakamir make a porno is that year too. Hamlet 2. Hamlet 2. <laughs> I was one of the three uh, people in the theater for Hamlet 2 in 2008. Well, we did an episode on that, what, two years ago? I yeah, think? You, you had to get so drunk to do that yeah. episode that you yeah. wound up disappearing, I think, in the last 20 minutes or something. I had to kill uh, that episode because you got way too drunk. Yeah, it was not good. Rock and Roller was that year too. That movie's fun. Uh, what else? Yeah. So anyway, Tropic Thunder still holds up. Definitely recommend it. Um, it's very different from from anything in the past. Oof, I want to say, what, 10 years, maybe comedy wise? That's well, it. some people have called it very similar to the Johnson family reunion mm -hmm. starring Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. Where he wears white face throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I wish I would see that movie. Uh, my number eight. I've talked about this not that long ago. It is Boiling Point from I believe the years twenty twenty one on Boiling Point. It's directed by Philip Barantini, and it's one of these cool angry chef movies. But it's done in one take. Okay, it's done in one take, and it stars a great actor in Stephen Graham. Uh, it is performed very well by everybody, and. I would say that the 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 serious version of of this movie because they did do a, a very similar to the full monty which we were discussing at the top of the show they decided to do a sequel series that always seems to be the move in the uk for some reason they don't want to do like a proper sequel film they want to do a, a sequel mini series where we unpack all the other characters over seven episodes uh i think that might be a little bit better than what this this movie was but the movie's great the movie's really terrific and uh i will spare saying anything else about the movie because i've talked about it on a very like probably the last episode we did i think i brought this movie up boiling point number eight yeah uh my seven is uh glenn gary glenn ross wow which i believe we also did an episode on yes and uh it's a uh... I mean, it it is based on a play, right? And you can really tell with the way that the movie is shot. But every performance is so great and so compelling that even though they're talking about sales, uh, you're 
you pay attention to everything that happens and everything they do and every performance is so great that yeah it's it, it keeps your attention even though it should be the most boring <laughs> movie that you would see is just people competing to get more sales than, than uh their co-workers but uh yeah seeing uh jack lemon is great in it al pacino is at his best i think uh in in this movie and uh Alec Baldwin has like a small role too where he's also very good so it's a really stacked cast that uh I don't know if Vitruly is is the most interesting movie but it doesn't have to be because of how the performances carry it uh and and how you know all the everything that happened is so compelling while you know being probably one of the most boring things you can make a movie about yeah, I forgot that that was 2023, to be honest with you. But yeah. no, that that was like middle of 2023. I think we covered that with Ryan. So yeah. that is, yeah, that's a, that's a very good movie. Uh, it's not on my list. On my list, I have mm -hmm. Summer of 42 from 1971, the Robert Mulligan film. Very forgotten these days, Summer of 42, because not a whole lot happens in it. It's about a young man trying to have sex with a but i'm saying have sex that makes it sound crass that makes it sound crude but this is a very yeah, like pg movie well he's yeah. kind of into her you know he, he's trying to get with a a married woman who lives by herself on nantucket island and her husband is fighting in the war in world war ii he's a pilot and he's just you know he's like yeah i'll carry your groceries home for you and you know, it's this sort of innocent thing. And then I think he's presented the opportunity one time and he gets too scared. or something. He's like 15 or 16 years old. His name's Hermie. It's a terrible character name, Hermie. And I think he eventually does wind up fucking this woman after the night, or maybe even the night she gets a letter saying your husband has been shot down in Japan. Oh. So her husband dies. This is a typical woman thing is, yeah, you kill the husband and then fuck her, right? Every woman's dream is to see her husband die and then get fucked by the savage that killed him, Wait, right? It's a rated R. You say it's very- What, really? Yeah. I would never have guessed that. But here's the thing. I mean, what? what? No, that makes no sense. Beetlejuice was rated PG and he grabs his fucking dick and says, <laughs> nice fucking model. You know? They, yeah. That's insane. This this is rated R. Wow. Okay. I mean, there's nothing really bad in the movie. They don't. It's nothing explicit. Interesting. Apparently, so, uh, Stanley Kubrick's wife said that this was one of his favorite films, mm, according to IMDb. Actually, tell you what, when I did this show on The Shining with Jack, I went back obviously and I watched The Shining. I realized he put this movie in The Shining. Jack or Wendy or somebody is watching it on the television in the hotel, which they're both Warner Brothers movies. So I guess he could get away with doing that. And there's not going to be mm -hmm. an issue with the, the copyright. But I'd never noticed that before. I, I Obviously, I knew they were watching stuff on the TV, but I identified it right away because there are so many shots in this movie that are eerie and mysterious and don't fit the vibe of what this movie is. But it, it kind of does, too. And it's very like the cinematography is very good on summer of 42 it's 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 a great movie so i mean if that sounds interesting to you check it out i think that this was the inspiration or maybe i mean i think the walton's tv show was based on a book but a lot of the style that's encompassed in this movie feels like the waltons have you ever seen the waltons nope no it's a very like early 20th century we're living on the prairie kind of tv it was my mom's favorite tv show and i always found it so fucking boring i was like <laughs> oh wow it's a christian family living on a farm and what's the what what is the plot of this episode he's trying to decide if he should lie and keep the stack of books instead of returning them to the owner this fucking yeah. sucks i hate this show it's, so it's very little house of the prairie it, yeah it's, it's it's very little house on the prairie but it's a it's probably a bit more modern than that you know a lot of big actors came out of that show john ritter um you know i don't know people did <laughs> um anyway what is your what is your number seven <laughs> 